space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To observe Trek to from observe outside Trek existence, from outside. to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of the universe. To seek out every second and contemplate every eon. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. I was the greatest threat the Continuum had ever known. They feared me so much they had to lock me away for eternity. And when they did that, they were saying that the individual's rights will be protected only so long as they don't conflict with the state. Nothing is so dangerous to a society. Hello and welcome to Temporal Trek, the podcast that will show Trek throughout existence in chronological order. I'm your host, Dan Hitch. Hello and welcome to episode 6. We're here in the Delta Quadrant. We're in Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. We are in the episode Death Wish. This episode concerns a Q, a renegade Q, who has a death wish, so it's not just a clever title, and wishes to end his life. He is fed up with his immortality, as it were. The episode itself is a pretty standard legal drama. There's a back and forth quite easily between the uh, the defendant and the opposition. In this case, the opposition being Q, the irrepressible Q himself. Now, we won't be concerning the actual trial itself, that will come up when we watch this episode in our far-flung future when Voyager is being watched. But I am going to look at this particular segment of the episode. A little preamble on Voyager itself, as this is the first time we're encountering this iteration. Voyager, I have to say, is one of my least favourite iterations of Star Trek. I don't believe that the quality is any lesser than any of the other iterations. It's purely that it came along at a time when study was my main focus and not TV. I had quite a lot of work to do in my studies for university, so learning from my A-levels up to university. My ability to watch TV and really sort of watch and sit down and take it all in was diminished. So Voyager is consequently the, the show that even though I've watched every episode, I remember the least and have watched or re-watched the least. So when it does come round, I am actually looking forward to, to going back to Voyager and trying to see if there's something I actually missed in that initial run. I also feel that in my initial impressions of the show that it had a fantastic premise similar to Star Trek Enterprise which is also one of my least favourites of all of the iterations. It had a fantastic premise that it just failed to live up to eventually. It wasn't a slight on the characters, it's not even necessarily a slight on the writing and the production, it just felt like it just never quite met my own personal expectations, my own prejudices against what I feel was a, a, a missed opportunity. It's often said in quite a few debates with all the different fans that I've met that there wasn't a consistency. There was there was too much reliance on going back to the reset button in Voyager and also in Enterprise as well. Enterprise sort of broke free of that later in, in other seasons, whereas I felt Voyager didn't actually do it. So that's why I kind of put Enterprise just a little bit above Voyager in my estimations because it actually tried to do something different toward the end. Sadly, got cancelled. But Voyager just felt like it just stayed at the same level and coasted through. For me, that's my own personal opinion. I know people love Voyager. They even love it better than some of the other more revered iterations, your, your TNGs, your TOSs, and your DS9s as well. Uh, but personally, for me, I just felt like Voyager didn't really go far enough. 
ironically, considering it's lost in the Delta Quadrant. But, as by the by, we are looking at a specific segment of this episode of Death Wish. Now, Death Wish starts at timestamp 31 minutes and 1 second. We're greeted by the Captain, Tuvok, Q, and the other Q who wishes to commit suicide. Now, for the sake of uh, discussion, I'm actually going to say Quinn as his name. Now, that's not officially his name until the very end of the episode and after this segment but just so that i can delineate between the two characters as i'm talking to you i'm going to refer to him as quinn and our q our irrepressible q from tng as q himself those four characters appear on a desert road uh, straight off the bat janeway just says this is it this is the continuum it's just a long desert road there's almost a, a hint of disappointment in her voice which i find quite funny uh, i quite like that uh, janeway is a captain who does call people out quite easily with just some just nice easy sick burns but it's metaphorical of course it is here we are outside of time as we've seen with the megans as we've seen with the traveler as we've seen with the prophets and pretty much everyone else even the nexus even though it wasn't a set consciousness doesn't like to present things as they are it likes to use metaphor it seems to be something that happens every time we come out of uh, out of time but there you go but it's a metaphorical long road there's some really eerie almost tos like soundtrack music going on in the background it's already telling the audience that this is a, an unnatural world an unnatural place to be it's a music cue that i think is part of the evidence as why as i put it outside space and time rather than say adjacent to space and time everything they're doing inside that area is not necessarily affecting the universe outside it so that's why i'm sort of making a distinction between the two i have to say this whole segment from beginning to end is one of my favorites and possibly one of the best parts of all star trek franchise canon even though it's from one of the iterations that I don't like as much, it still proves to me that you can still have these nuggets of pure golden Star Trekness, uh, even in uh, your least favourite areas. We see some other characters who seem to be also metaphors for who they are. You have a, uh, an old-timer on a rocking chair reading the old book. You have this, uh, this flapper girl, 1920s flapper girl, who's reading the new magazine, which is all very art deco uh, design on the front. You see some games, you see people playing croquet with what looks to be worlds uh, as the balls, which is a nice little touch. And you see a nice big dog sitting on the lawn. Two reasons I want to mention the big dog, partly because our last episode I mentioned Butler, the big dog, and that had a nice sentimental value to me. Here we are, we've got a golden retriever, another big dog. Nice bit of nostalgia there for me as well. But I'm also going to mention the big dog for another important reason. And that is Baby Zack. Oh yes, he's still here, still watching the episodes with me. Baby Zack had a full reaction to the dog. It could be that dog impression is one of his favourite noises to make, as he still hasn't quite learnt words just yet. But he was already doing the bow-wows and the woof-woofs as soon as he saw that dog. So he was already engaged in the episode, regardless of whether the fact he understood the, the true philosophical implications of what's going on. But going back to that idea of the long road... The long road that allows the Q to access all of time and space. He says, go anywhere, do anything. So he is perceiving space-time outside of the Q continuum. So again, that's part of my evidence as to why this is outside, not time adjacent. But I do like the fact that he's talking about a long road. Because it's been a long road game from there to here. Yes, I went there. And I apologise instantly. Quinn starts to say that he's been everything here. He's been the games, he's played the games, he's been the dog, he's been the person reading the new and the old. All of these manifestations, all these metaphors around them 
are things that the, the Q continuum can inhabit and be so they can experience all of reality. He even points to a scarecrow in a far off field and says, I was even the scarecrow for a short time. Q straight away interjects and says, of course they are. They're all happy Q. They're all happy people. It just always gets me thinking of REM, uh, happy people holding hands. Uh, he even motions for all the Q to, to raise a smile and they sort of turn around and give this really sickly grin to Janeway and the rest of the crew who don't seem very impressed. They're not sad at all. What reason do they have to be sad, Q says. And Quinn just straight away stoops him down and says, they don't dare feel sad. That would be progress. So this is a really interesting idea now that we've got previous episodes where we've had creatures who were outside existence, who were set in their own cognitive dissonance, as we've been exploring in other episodes as well, who don't want to progress further. They don't want to go outside of their own logic and being. Here in the continuum, we've got creatures who have done everything, but have now absorbed every possibility in their existence and can't seem to progress or don't want to progress any further. So it's a very odd juxtaposition to what we've already seen. Up till now, we've had people stuck in their own spheres of knowledge. Now we've got people who have embraced other spheres of knowledge. They've tried almost everything, but something else eludes them. It's almost as though there are a few qualities that if you indulge in them, that somehow diminishes what you've already learnt, and that there's a, an unwillingness to go that much further. Sadness, the concept of sadness, the feeling of a sa sadness, the emotion of sadness seems to be abhorrent to them, so that there there isn't a limit to what the Q can do. Unlike the omnipotence which has been played throughout TNG and other iterations of Q, even in some of the books that I've read, Q is seen as limitless. He's able to do pretty much everything. But here, Quinn is arguing the case that the continuum and all Q, in a sense, are incapable of certain actions which seem to go against everything in their existence. Very, very odd. Q sort of tries to get back at him with a one line saying, the philosopher speaks. But Quinn just admits it. He lives up to that idea of the philosopher. He even says that he was a Q philosopher, whatever then that means. Uh, I, I certainly know that Socrates and Aristotle and Plato would certainly be happy to meet this philosopher because this man is not only living in the metaphysical he is the metaphysical, and he has been everything. He has been every shadow on that cave. He was talking about how, even though he was a philosopher, he was dedicated to what he called the, the unswerving, the unwavering purity of the Q. He was arguing the case that actually the Q had achieved a culture unsurpassed by anyone else. Now, I think that's really interesting. The Q didn't just come to being. They weren't just automatically powerful beings. They had to in a sense, evolve or achieve or gain a culture, a physical body that could actually do these wondrous things, this, this metaphysical thing. When the new era came along, there was lots of discussion. There was constant dialogue. They were always talking about new ideas and, and bringing together all this knowledge from across the universe. So we're not just talking about the one galaxy that we're familiar with in Star Trek. We are talking about knowing everything in our universe and perhaps even more universes than that and then Quinn just looks around at these quiet metaphorical people these Q and says listen to their dialogue now and there's nothing now as I've said the rest of the episode is a sort of a, a legal court drama it's about the right to life it's about Quinn deciding for himself whether he's going to get to die or not Tuvok is his defense counsel essentially and he's sort of playing up to that so as soon as Quinn says listen to their dialogue now 
Tuvok says, I cannot hear what they are saying. And I think it's a really nice little dig. It's not an emotional response because he is a Vulcan, but it's a really good snarky comment. It's almost like he is just pushing the theatre of court to reinforce to reinforce his client's viewpoint. He just digs it in just a little bit more. It's almost like a slight to Q as well. Quinn goes on to say that they've seen everything. They've not talked in 10 millennia. So there is an aspect of time involved in the Q continuum. They are aware that they exist for a set amount of time, but it doesn't seem to have any bearing on the nature of the continuum itself. So I'm going to use that as evidence as to why this is outside time, even though time is playing a part of it. Q desperately tries to defend their position again. He says, I, I appreciate a little quiet now and then. And Quinn sees an opening and he jumps straight into Q. He's now attacking Q, not just the continuum. He's saying, it's ironic, isn't it? That you were the rebel Q. That you were the one who went against the status quo. You started misbehaving. I'm a born again Q. I've learned from my mistakes. I appreciate what I did wrong. I have learnt my position and my, my stature in the continuum. Quinn says that, but you inspired me. You were irresponsible. You needed amusement. Everybody needed amusement. You needed to use your powers irresponsibly. Q says that I paid the price. And Quinn just twists his words again and says, no, the continuum paid the price for stopping you. It gave them something to talk about. And the Q actually surrendered. And that was the biggest defeat to Quinn. It wasn't the fact that they went back to silence. It's the fact that the one act of defiance, that one outlier of new information was suppressed. I love this episode and I love this particular scene purely because there are so many things that are being dealt with here. We've got metaphysics. We've got this idea that all of existence can exist in one place. You've got the Q, one of my favourite characters, one of the aspects of all of Star Trek that I love. It allows you to have this meta-humour, it allows you to break outside of Star Trek, maybe have a bit of a play around with it as well. It allows for things like this, where I can do a podcast as if I'm pretending to sit outside of time and space and, and observe it as well. Q are operating on that level, so it allows you to dissect it a little bit more. You've had this philosopher talking about how these seemingly omnipotent beings are incapable of certain actions that seem to go against the majority of what's going on. You've got this legal aspect as well. You've got the sparring between the characters. But now, with this latest point, you've got the idea of a state, an organisation, suppressing an individual or perhaps suppressing a concept and belief. There's so many permutations to this scene that it's one of my favourites. The irrepressible cue forced me to think, Quinn says. Takes the new newspaper the magazine off the flapper girl the 1920s flapper girl and gives it to Janeway to show an article that was written by Quinn saying how he was ready to die and that as soon as that was published for lack of a better word that it was instantly censored that they stopped reporting this information that they cut him out of society for having an idea. Q tries to then paint it as a different picture. We had to imprison him. We had to stop him from harming himself. They try and argue the case that the Quinn's actions would have harmed himself. It was about protecting him. And Quinn shoots back straight away and says it wasn't about locking me away and keeping me safe. It was about keeping him away from everyone else and upsetting the status quo. And as soon as they did that and locking him away for eternity, it was about questioning an individual's rights and that they will only be protected as long as they don't conflict with the state. A whole new context as well. You've got state censorship. You've got human rights, effectively, 
being curtailed by a larger organization, a larger power that tries to justify it as protection, but actually it's protection of themselves, not the individual. Quinn then backpedals from that and moves away from this idea of censorship and state control to a very personal defense. He was saying, Janeway, you're trying to make me convince you that my life is the symptom of a disease or suffering. And throughout this, Janeway has been saying, I don't really see what's going on here. I don't see anyone suffering because she's not seeing anyone crying in pain or anything like that. But Quinn is saying that at its root, he is being forced to be an immortal. He's having it thrust upon him and that that is in itself a disease because by forcing immortality on him when he chooses to do something else it cheapens life because his life is futile there is nothing left to explore there's nothing left to talk about he then moves that personal story towards Janeway imagine you an explorer captain not being able to explore anymore you know everything you've seen everything there is nothing left to know you talk about wanting to know a disease and suffering immortality is the disease and at that point as soon as he says this he just twists his fingers we get a cue flash and at timestamp 36 minutes 57 seconds we come out of this scene well uh <laughs> so that's describing the scene itself so much to unpack here and i'm probably not going to do it justice but we are looking at all of space time for the star trek franchise just this scene it's barely even six minutes long and already we've got elements of metaphysics, omnipotence, gods acting perhaps against each other. You've got an individual's rights. You've got state censorship. You've got suffering. And you've got the right to choose your own death. There's so many different things to do here. Um, this is, like, a, as I say, this is one of the best scenes in Star Trek. Definitely up there in the top ten. Because it highlights everything you need to know about the franchise. You're willing to take the time to look at a really trippy, a very unusual scene of so many different images, similar to a vision by the prophets in DS9, similar to Magus 2, when Lucium was making the world seem um, more believable to Kirk and his crew. But in that time, you're having a debate that crosses over so many different philosophical and ethical paths. When we look to today's society, we look at people who want the right to die, that people who want to commit euthanasia and have to travel to other countries to get it because other countries maybe have a more laxed attitude or perhaps a more progressive attitude, depending on your outlook, to allow someone to die with some sort of dignity. And that's what Quinn's asking for, forgetting all the state elements of it he's just asking for a right to dignity it's a very very simple idea but the idea that he being a part of a society that considers itself so evolved and so holier than thou that to leave it is almost seen as an insult to the rest of the queue there is a slow element to this scene which i love the fact that it takes the time there's no spinny cameras there's no cgi there is purely just a discussion between four characters Tuvok doesn't really say very much. Let's just go for three characters. The 2Q and Janeway just discussing something that means so much, even in today's world. You know, 20 years on from when this episode was actually aired, it's still so relevant today. We see in certain countries, such as China, the censorship of data 
the manipulation of data to affect an individual's rights. And here we've got Quinn imprisoned just for the fact that he had an idea, uh, didn't even actually follow through on it, just had the idea and he's being censored as well. For me, it's just perfect. The intonation, the acting, the pace of it, it just makes so much sense as a six minute clip. So on that, here we come to our ratings. So looking at canon first, we're gonna look at canon and the implications of this scene on the rest of canon. Now, Janeway doesn't actually make a decision in this clip. This clip informs her decision later. So we can't really say that there's a legal precedent being made here, that it's uh, it affects all Federation law. It's not changing anything about Federation society. As well as, even though Janeway has made this decision, or even if she did make a decision in this scene, because Voyager is in the Delta Quadrant, it's moved away from Federation space, it's moved away from their society, any decision she makes hasn't impacted anything else. So the decision is purely on the show itself. The things discussed here in this episode affect the show's stance on life, censorship, politics, a raft of different issues, so many different things that I think I would be here for about three or four hours if I really wanted to go into detail on it. So for me, the canon aspect, as far as historical chains of events, A, B, C, D, and E, they're discussing concepts, they're discussing philosophy, they're discussing politics and ethics, but in terms of affecting anything else, unfortunately, I can't say it does, which is really frustrating. I really want it to, but I just can't argue the case that this scene changes Star Trek in terms of in-universe. Outside universe, absolutely. Like I say, one of the best. How would I change this scene? I'm not even going to touch that. I am not a good enough writer to say that I could in any way improve on this. If it were left to me, I would make this the entire episode. We would have had two seconds to introduce Quinn and just gone straight to the continuum and just talk about it for 45 minutes. But then that's just me. I love my philosophy. I love talking about politics. I love talking about all these these things. Um, the ideas and, and uh, the interplay between the characters. It's subtle, it's slow, but I absolutely adore it. It's perfect for what I think Star Trek should be. So I'm not going to try and change anything. Now, coming to recommendations. Do I recommend this episode to fans? Do I recommend it to non-fans? What do you think? <laughs> I'm going to recommend this to fans straight off. Death Wish rightly holds its position as not only one of the best of Voyager, but definitely one of the best of the franchise. It's a standalone philosophical debate with so much far-reaching impact in our world, not just inside Star Trek, in our world. The, the discussion of ethics and the discussion of right to die and censorship is so prevalent even today that you could not get away with missing this episode out. Now, do I recommend it to non-fans? Absolutely. Of course I do. I would rank Death Wish as one of the top 10 to be in there to... If you were to have a hypothetical brainwashing kit to make people believe in Star Trek, Death Wish is definitely in there. It just stands head and shoulders above so many other episodes. If you wanted to give someone the impression of what Star Trek was, this is the way to go. It's an emotive issue. It's something that everyone has an opinion on. It's an episode that not everyone might agree with the outcome on. Now, the resolution of this episode, I'll be discussing when I cover this episode, but it could be disappointing to some, and it could be just reinforcing other people's beliefs. 
And that is one of the best things about Star Trek. You could watch at the end, even if all the events are reset and doesn't really have an impact on the canon, as I say, it does make the viewer question their own belief and perhaps even see this episode in so many different ways. And there, for me, there is so little TV that does that anymore. The other reason that I would recommend it is that this episode does have an impact on another episode. It, another episode comes from this. Now, I did say in canon it doesn't really affect in-universe. It will for the queue. But for the queue doesn't necessarily mean that it will impact the canon as far as Federation history and the outlining of the franchise and, and where things sit in and whether there has been any time travel that may have affected anything, which is the main reason for this podcast, looking at events that might have gone back in time and changed what comes later. It affects the queue, yes, and it will change how we perceive the queue, but that's pretty much it. But because the fact there is a follow-up episode, because we are seeing what the decision from this episode will eventually have, I'm recommending it purely so that you understand what's coming next. Uh, a very pragmatic reason, but still a reason I believe that's worthy. And there we go. Join us next time for episode seven. We're going back to Deep Space Nine and we're going back to the Prophets in the episode Ascension. And we're going to start at timestamp 37 minutes and two seconds. I hope I haven't gushed too much, but thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Temporal Trek. If you would like to contribute anything to the show, fan art, music, clips, ideas for segments, then please feel free to contact me on Twitter at Hitch underscore Daniel or on Instagram Daniel underscore Hitch underscore writer. This show is always going to be free. There's no Patreon at all. But if you would like to financially contribute to the show, then I am a published author on Amazon and I'll catch you in the next time stream.